Hey guys, what's up? I'm just adjusting the mic here a little bit. Let me just check something so you guys, everything's good and well in order. All right. And welcome. It's three minutes three minutes past noon here on this Friday, the 15th of uh, October, 2021. As I adjust everything here, making sure everything's okay and ready to go. All right, there we go. All right. But yeah, welcome to this review of Dark Side of the Ring, this live review, actually, of Dark Side of the Ring's latest uh, venture uh, that they did. And I do apologize if there's any lag because I'm going to try to tag this to um, several sites without any problem. So. Uh, basically, yeah, uh, Dark Side of the Ring last night uh, tackled the uh, many faces, as they called it, the, basically the life of Luna Vachon. Her real name was Gertrude, or Trudy uh, for short. And uh, yeah, you, you want to talk about uh, somebody that basically... You know, well, basically, they have a prime example of, you know, they basically have a prime example of, you know, having, you know, split personalities. Luna was exactly that. And, um, you know, the, 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 and his, his was crazy. The, the people they got to interview for this, uh, for this episode, they got, um, they got uh, the they got Par- they got uh, Paradise. I think that's her name. They got Mad Maxine. They got Mad Maxine, which was a surprise. Um, you know they got uh, Mick Foley. They got David Heath, Gangrel. Uh, they got uh, Luna's son uh, as well, which was cool. But the one that really surprised me and I think surprised anybody else was you know they got they got Paul they got the butcher himself Paul Vachon I think that's what his name is Paul Vachon the father or I guess you could say stepfather of uh, Luna and the reason I would say stepfather is due to the fact that he wasn't initially her father by blood. That that's the thing. He wasn't initially her father by blood. Instead, what happened is her father uh, basically shot himself. Her father, her original father, was the owner of a hotel where the wrestlers would stay at, where Vashon was staying at. And according to Paul, according to the butcher. He heard a gunshot, what sounded like a gunshot, out, you know, outside his door. And he went to go investigate. And now, well, he didn't go investigate. He just thought, you know, you know, he heard something but didn't hear it again. And then he decided to lay back down. And then that's when he got a knock on his door. 
And it was the the uh, hotel owner's wife who said that he had shot himself. He had shot himself. And she brought Vashon down to meet to, I, I guess, keep a company, you know, you know, kind of be there for his daughter. And Vashon basically married in to the family, or basically married uh, the woman and basically took, you know, Luna in as part of the family. Thus became, you know, her stepdad. And, um, yeah, that's basically how Luna got into the business. And she got enthralled with the business because she would uh, watch, because she would be on the road with them and as she was growing up, and she would get enthralled with the business. She would want to be part of it. And she would uh, look at her Aunt Vivian, Vivian Vashon, and she want, she'd be like, I want to be like you. Oh, I want to be like you. I want to be a bad girl. And what was interesting, though, is while she was trying to get in the business, a lot of people would suggest she should be a baby face. And from what you know, I think people like Paradise and Mad Maxine uh, would tell her is, you know, not well, not tell her, but what they would tell um, uh, the yeah. interviewees um, of, of Luna's uh, reaction to that is Luna would get mad. Anytime people would say, because when they looked at her, she had the look of a baby face, of a good girl. And Luna didn't want to be that. She wanted to be bad. She wanted to be, you know, a heel, basically. So, you know, anytime someone would suggest to her, hey, you should try, you know, becoming a baby face, she would be against that. She'd be like, no, that's that's not what I want. I want to be a bad girl. I want to be the heel. I want to be... Boo, I want people to hate me kind of deal. And she was determined to, to do that. She was determined to do that. And when she finally got her opportunity uh, in championship in championship wrestling for Florida, uh, it, she really, in my from what I saw, and th- they talked about this on, on there as well, that's when she started to take off a little bit. That's when she started to get noticed uh, a lot more. And, you know, as they would say, the, the rest, you know, is, is pretty much history. When, when you think about it, the rest is pretty much history. But, yeah, and as I'm just trying to tag this on here. But, yeah, you know, she, she basically wanted to be a, a villain. She wanted to be a villain right off the bat. And... You know, they a lot of people felt that hey, you know, you have this baby face complexion, you should be a baby face, and she didn't want that. And when she went to championship wrestling from Florida, uh, that's when she got her opportunity. Uh, there was an angle basically where she was trying to, where she was originally presented um, as a, a as a, a reporter who was awarding Kendall Will Kendall. Kendall Wyndham, I think that's who it was. Kendall Wyndham, a young Kendall Wyndham with a Wrestler of the Month award. And what happened is 
after that, Kevin Sullivan and his group came out. Because Kevin Sullivan at this time, and I'm sure we've all heard about this, uh, during his early ones in Florida and in the NWA, Jim Crockett, wherever he was booked at, had this satanic uh, gimmick going on, the satanic cult gimmick going on. This is where, you know, Kevin met Nancy Sullivan or Nancy Benoit, uh, better known as woman. And basically, the storyline with Kevin is anybody that came in contact with him, he would possess or he would start to possess. He started getting power over. And what happened is there was an incident where he punched uh, Luna, you know, in the face while she was still trying to portray this uh, reporter character. And it was because of that punch, that contact is what really changed her it's like upon contact you know she started to change you know she started to have a different side of personality and she basically gave herself to sullivan to where she shaved off half of her head and she basically started to become uh, the luna fashion uh we all know and love and enjoyed watching uh, on television now they talked about how she uh gotten uh contact with you know david heath how she met with him and his partner tom nash they were the black hearts and i'm sure you've heard of the black hearts i have i've heard of them actually i think i've seen them several times on global wrestling federation gwf on espn so i saw them there and i think they did have a few stints um in wcw uh but i didn't think i didn't see luna with them or anything i think luna was with them in gwf (laughs) Excuse me, and that was it as well as USWA. Uh, but anyway, anyway, though, uh, that, you know, basically because they were a tag team and they did show a photo of them with Luna with the IWA tag team titles. Uh, that's how, you know, uh, basically that's um, how Luna met David and, and Tom, David Heath, Gangrel, and Tom Nash uh, originally. But she wasn't married to either of them at that time. She, I think she was just getting out of a marriage with, believe it or not, Dick Slater, who I was... Uh, I don't know if he's still alive or not. I think he is. I'm not really sure. But they... you know, I don't know. That's just a guess. I don't know if he is or isn't, but uh, let, me, let, me, let me check. And again, I do apologize for any lags. Let me see. Uh, Dick... Oh no, he passed away. Uh, he passed away three years uh, three years ago. Going to be uh, in three days. It'll be three years since he's passed away. But you know, no wonder they couldn't talk to him. Uh, but anyway, yeah, she was married to Dick originally, and I think that's when she was around managing the the Black Hearts and everything. And and then um, after that, she uh, uh, she started to uh, go off on her own. She started to show up in other areas from what I understand. Um, and uh, what was interesting, though, is when they talked to Mad Maxine, everybody knows Mad Maxine from the fact that she was originally supposed to be the protege, basically the uh, heir to the throne when it, in storyline, if you will, to the fabulous Moolah. And if you, you know, know your history about that, she was also supposed to be the original bad girl on Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. 
Well, they talked to her, and um, she, you know, the way she talked about Mula was, you know, she she did acknowledge and did, you know, well, she did acknowledge and definitely show disdain for what Luna did with the, a lot of the young lambs as she would look at them. Um, and Luna was one of them. Luna was one of the young lambs. And what Luna would go through is what we heard about previously through, through the other uh, Dark Side of the Ring uh, interviews that they did uh, when they talked about the fabulous Mula. She was basically put into a situation where she was told, hey, can you go and do these photographs of this one guy in California? And she had no idea that the guy's true intentions were, oh, I'm not just going to take photographs of you. I'm going to get with you. And uh, unfortunately, that plan backfired and Luna fought him off. That That's basically what Maxine, Maxine, I think, Paradise said. And um, after that, she came back. But his thing, unlike some of the girls who probably left Mula or, you know, basically, um, I, I, you know, basically kind of, well, yeah, I would say basically left Mula, you know, didn't want to be, learn from her anymore and do, they wanted to learn a different way. Um, uh, Luna stayed. Luna stayed, believe it or not. She's like, this is probably the only way she's going to get into the business or at least get good at being in the business. So she stayed. And this is before, believe it or not, the whole, you know, situation with Kevin Sullivan and Championship Wrestling for Florida and all that. So, you know, that's who she trained with. And she went through basically similar stuff that some of the other women had, uh, you know, beforehand. Um, anyway, to get back on topic, though, get back to, uh, to get back to where I was. Um, like I said, she, um, after she uh, divorced from Slater, she started to go with uh, Tom Nash. And she got married to him, who was one half of the Blackhearts. And everything seemed okay. Everything seemed okay. I mean, you know, and uh, that relationship started when Luna wanted to start working out with them, ride with them, stuff like that from what I understand. And uh, basically afterwards, you know, the marriage with Tom and Luna caused some dissension, you know, behind the, behind the scenes with uh, David and Tom because, you know, Luna would... Sorry about that. Uh, but like I said, uh, Luna would uh, go and hang out with Heath, with David Heath, Gangrel. And Tom basically felt like there was something going on there. He didn't like it. They got into a fight. And pretty much the behind-the-scenes dissension is what caused the end of the Black Arts tag team. And I'll be honest, just by the looks that they had, even in late 80s, early 90s WWE, I think they could have worked. I think they honestly could. I think, honestly, the Blackhearts and, you know, late 80s, early 90s WWE could have worked as a very unique tag team. Like, you know, they, you know, kind of like when you, when you saw someone like The Undertaker and Papa Shango, you're like, okay, this is a little bit more different than what we're used to seeing. Um, that's kind of what I see the Blackhearts mainly would have been. You know, maybe they would have gotten that opportunity too. Um, anyway, though, uh, long story short, it just uh, 
ended uh, badly. Tom and her separated, divorced. And then eventually, long after that, she got with David Heath. And, you know, that was that. the rest is history. You know, the rest is history. Um, her son, I, I don't know who the father of her son is. Uh, his name is Van Gard or something like that, Van Dard. Uh, he's a culinary uh, cook. So he goes and, you know, prepares, he goes to these different events to prepare meals and stuff across the country. And, um, you know, he has a daughter. And he says that because she inevitably got the big break that she did, and we'll get into that in a moment, she never met her granddaughter. She never did. You know, well, not it wasn't it wasn't just that, but um, even when she was alive, you know, she never met you know her daughter or her grandkids or anything like that because you know the way she, you know she would turn out and become and and all that as well as her schedule. Um. Anyway, well, not necessarily her schedule because all that came later. But again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Uh. But anyway. Anyway, though, like uh, anyway, though, like I said, she ended up getting with Heath. Uh, they had a Halloween uh, wedding, which was kind of cool. Uh, and instead of rings, they exchanged bites and everything. And uh, it's not the first time she's bit him, <laughs> because there's a story he says that when they were training, not at not a regular wrestling place, but I think I think in the backyard or the yeah the backyard of the home of, of Tom Nash that. She jumped off one of the ropes onto Heath and started just biting him and everything and tackling him. And it's like David's like, hey, get this girl off. I don't know what she's doing kind of deal. And so anyway, anyway, though, like I said, you know, the the history goes all the way back, you know, when they were, you know, the Blackheart stable. And uh, like I said, that was just one of the stories that David shared of the fact that when they first met her and she wanted to be joined up with them and all that and you know you know this here and there that she would basically uh like there was like i said there was that one time she would come off the ropes during the training and just basically tackle him and get all over him and it's like you know he's he's trying to get her off he wants Nash to get her off and eventually she gets off but anyway but but anyway i i'm kind of I know I sound like I'm mixing up a lot of details here. I'm just going off the top of my head. I'm trying not to miss a beat here uh, as best as I could. But anyway, um, what happens is that, like I said, after that, you know, they she manages them. They become the IWA tag team champions and all that. But then behind the scenes, as I mentioned, they had dissension because Tom Nash thought, you know, Luna and David were, you know, sleeping behind his back. And that caused the separation of Tom and Luna. Uh, Dark Side of the Ring did acknowledge that they, Tom, um, he wasn't on camera, but he had acknowledged that these are things he, you know, that some of the accusations that were made by Luna, by David, were not true. And then inevitably, like I said, she ended up marrying uh, David Heath Gangrel on a Halloween night, uh, on Halloween night, uh, in a Halloween style ceremony, everybody in costume. And what's interesting is both were sending in tapes to the WWF, now the WWE, but they were sending in tapes to them. And Luna's was the one that got chosen. Like she's trying to get him over. She's sending tapes to get him over 
Well, it was not both of them. It was mostly her, I should say. Let me correct myself. It was mostly her. And she was sending tapes over to WWE to get him a job, right? So what happened is instead the exact opposite happened, and she ended up getting an opportunity with WWF. And, you know, the rest is history because after she was the one that was chosen out of the two, the next time we saw her or anybody saw her, uh, was at WrestleMania 9 when she came down the aisles with uh, Shawn Michaels. And, you know, the rest is history because then she would go from transitioning as being like a bodyguard, valet, whatever, of Shawn Michaels to basically being the main squeeze valet for Bam Bam Bigelow. But what was interesting, though, what was interesting is that a lot of the women, and they had a very thin roster. And this is coming directly from the mouth mouth of Medusa. That's right. They got Medusa, formerly Alondra Blaze in WWF, WWE, if you will. They got her, and she's basically like, you know, the roster was just not that big, not that good. Uh, they basically the roster was uh, basically, you know, just a few women here and there, um, and not equivalent enough not basically on the level enough to be advertised on like you know the car the the car on the on the uh well i I guess you could say the poster cards if you will the match card posters because on the match card posters you would have the main event the semi-main event uh you know tag team championship match maybe and you know several other matches and then more and basically medusa said well that's where you would find us you know, we would be in the more at category. That's how you would know we were there because we'd be just uh, acknowledged as more because, you know, they weren't, you know, given, you know, the, the opportunity to be acknowledged because the roster was so thin. And what happened is that Medusa, along with Luna, were... And even Sherry, because Luna and Sherry became good friends during their rivalry, and if not before before that. Um, but anyway, Luna and Alondra and even Sherry, they were just getting frustrated with the fact that, you know, they're not getting featured well. You know, they're not even being told by people of, hey, Alondra Blaze is going to be on here facing Sherry Martell, or Alondra Blaze is going to face Luna Vashon, or Alondra Blaze is going to face Leilani Kai, or something like that. They were not given recognition. And that's all Luna wanted, mainly. That was the crutch. That's the crutch of this whole um, this whole episode. All she wanted was recognition, you know, for what she could do in the ring. And my finger just hit the mic there. I do apologize. Uh, but that's all she wanted was recognition for what she could do in the ring. And she never got it. And Medusa, Deborah, her real name, Deborah Ann, um, knows exactly how she feels because she feels that she should have gotten that opportunity because of how talented she is. And she even told Luna, look, I'm scheduled to face you tonight in a title match here. I think when they were overseas or something. And she says, I will lay down for you. You know, well, not necessarily lay down, but go through the routine in the match, like certain moves here and there, da da da. And then when they go to the go home, that basically that's when she'll lay down for Luna, and Luna can cover her for the one, two, three to become 
the women's champion. And Luna's like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do it. I can't do it. And one of the things they talked about with Luna here, she was very uh, bipolar, uh, very bipolar. And I think I mentioned at the beginning she's uh, of the stream that she was very, very bipolar. And what I mean by very bipolar is you didn't know who you were going to get, you know, what side of her you were going to get. You didn't know if you were going to get uh, Luna that normally would talk to you behind the scenes or you would just get Luna as you would see on television. It was like you didn't know what you were going to get. And that's why the title of this episode of Dark Side of the Ring is appropriate because there were many faces to her and nobody that interacted with her and nobody that interacted with her had any idea who they were going to get. Um, Paradise, I think, said one time they shared a hotel room and Luna just went off on her just to start to attack her. And they're supposed to have a match, you know, later on. And she's just, you know, beating on her and they're fighting. They finally, I guess, come to a stop, you know, finally come to a stop or, you know, reason or something happens to where it's like they both realize, you know, this is stupid, this is ridiculous. But yeah, Luna was in that kind of situation to where you didn't know what you were going to get. You didn't know what side of her you were going to get. And this was all due to not just, you know, what she uh, experienced, what she went through and experienced as a child, you know, and everything. But, you know, because, again, you know, her father basically essentially killed himself. So she was taken in through marriage by the Vachon family. And then, you know, and then it goes and then throughout the episode, it goes into a story to where it's rumored, if not, you know, pretty much proven. Although Paul Vachon, the butcher, feels like that's not entirely true. He doesn't believe it. That, you know, Luna's aunt, Vivian Vachon, you know, abused her. She beat her or something like that. So a lot of that can mentally weigh on you, you know, as a kid. You know what I'm saying? And throughout your life. And when she wanted to get into the business, you know, the fact that, you know, certain promotions, mostly like WWF, did not value the women, you know, as much as they do now, it, it really hit her hard. It hit her hard because she's like, I'm talented enough to go in this ring and have a great match. Why am I not getting that opportunity? So anyway, she gets, uh, so anyway, uh, we go back to, a Medusa wanting to do the job for for Luna because she feels Luna deserves to be champion. And they do the match, but as soon as the moment comes for Luna to become champion, she doesn't go through with it. She just picks Alondra up like, you know, she's toying with her, obviously. That's what the dramatization look, made it look like. And, uh, and hello there to uh, Divas Gold. Thank you for joining me in the live chat. And Super Chats are indeed open, guys, if you want to check those out as well. Uh, but anyway, anyway, though, um, she basically doesn't go through with it. Luna does not go through with it because she's like, I can't do it. And Alondra, I mean, Alondra Medusa ends up retaining because Luna did not want to go through with, you know, a Medusa's plan to just lay down, just to have the match and then, go the route that you know nobody would see coming and that's Medusa basically jobbing the title over to uh to to Luna. And Medusa basically she had the attitude at the time was like what are they gonna do? Fire me and 
you know, and, and Luna, and that was just my notifications going off there. I do apologize. And uh, Luna is just like, I, I don't want you to to uh, get fired. Uh, you could watch uh, Divas Gold. You could watch this, I think, on YouTube or Daily Motion. Just uh, Google it. You should be able to find it. And it's also on Vice is on demand as well. Vice TV on demand. If you got that on your cable network or your cable provider, Vice TV on demand has it as well. As well as on their, um, I'm pretty sure on their uh, web page as well. But I would check out for anybody that wants to watch the episode because they were, this Divas Gold is asking. Uh, check out Vice's on-demand channel if it's on your cable. If your cable provider has Vice TV, as well as check YouTube and Daily Motion, you should be able to find it. Even Google it as well, and you should be able to get some kind of results. Uh, but anyway, what was I? Oh yeah, uh, Luna didn't. Uh, you know, Luna didn't want her to lose her job, even though Medusa basically didn't care at that time. She's like, "Screw this, screw this." You know, I I don't, I I don't want to be here anymore. You know, and that's why, you know, when she was let go while she was still the women's champion in in 95, that's why she did the infamous drop the title on the belt thing, you know, on Nitro, because that's how Medusa felt about the women's division and how they were being treated. Unfortunately, she ended up seeing that it wasn't pretty, it wasn't, you know, any different in WCW. But anyway, anyway, getting back on topic. Luna didn't want to do it, but, you know, because she didn't want Medusa, like I said, Medusa Alondra to, to lose her job. Um, so anyway, what happened later is, you know, she she has a few matches. They're, they're just mixed matches and everything. And she's let go. She's basically let go. Uh, the excuse is that they wanted to send her to rehab. She was drinking, stuff like that. And which obviously was not entirely true. Well, it ended up being true and everything, but they, they feel that there was more. To, I think the way you, the way when you watch this episode, you get the idea that. Hold on for a sec. I don't know who that was. But anyway, like I was saying. Uh, like I said, uh, go to YouTube, go to Daily Motion, Google it if you have to. Go to Vice on Demand, you know, on your cable provider. If they have Vice TV, you should be able to find it, guys. That's where you'll be able to find it. Vice on Demand, if your cable provider has Vice TV, Google it. You should be able to get video results for Daily Motion and or even YouTube. And even search for it here on YouTube, you should be able to find it. Because a lot of people start putting these things up uh, almost immediately afterwards. Uh, but anyway, uh, like I said, they they let her go, and you get the idea that it wasn't just okay. She's in rehab because of her drinking and everything, and they wanted to get better. But then they inevitably let her go. Uh, I think it's the fact that they were slowly phasing out the women's division, and they were basically phasing out a lot of the women that didn't meet up to the criteria at that time. And um, anyway, anyway, after that, Luna went back to the Indies for a bit, and then she showed up in ECW. And to me, the to me, you know, when you look at her time in ECW, I think what her son and what David Heath Gangrel said, and everybody else that they talked to 
mentions, uh, Mick Foley, uh, Paradise, Mad Maxine, you know, Medusa. They all agree that her time in ECW was better than it was in WWF because at least that ECW crowd accepted her for who she was. They didn't, you know, you know, they didn't shy away from what, you know, who she was. They didn't try to, you know, boo her for what she was. They accepted her. And they allowed her to be basically, as one person put it, I think it was, who was it, Medusa, Paradise, or Mick, one of them, said she basically stated that she was the original queen of extreme. And that being in ECW was, for for the time she was there, uh, was, you know, well to her liking, well to her fitting, if you will. And it was. It really was because they they show highlights from the intergender steel cage match she had with Stevie Richards. And the way she comes down that aisle, that to me is pre. And this is the honest truth. When they showed that in the previews and then they they showed it here, um, they showed it here in the uh, in, in the episode when she's coming down that aisle for her match against Stevie Richards in the steel cage, she. Honest to God, she looks like pre-UFC women's fighter look. She's got that pre... She's basically got the Ronda Rousey look before Ronda Rousey. We'll put it that way. I'm not joking. She's got the gloves. She's got the UFC, you know, ultimate fighter look. She she looks like she could basically fit in with today's uh, UFC uh, women's divisions. You know, mostly the... What what's the uh, what what is it the featherweight division bantamweight division for the women I, I I can't I can't I don't really don't really know but whatever the equivalent of the heavyweight division is for the women and I say that with all due respect uh, all due respect no offense but whatever the equivalent of the world heavyweight division in UFC for women is uh, and again I say that with all due respect no offense. You know, she obviously, if she was still around today and she could still go, she would fit right in with that. And she had a great, and obviously she had a great match with Stevie Richards, which she won. Uh, kind of, and as Joey Styles proclaimed, when because they, like I said, they showed highlights of it. Um, Joey Styles proclaimed the fact that she made history by winning the first intergender steel cage. And she stayed with ECW for a while. She mainly stayed there as, you know, a partner uh, of Tommy Dreamer or any of the baby faces that ECW had uh, to counteract Raven and and um, Beulah and anybody else that would go against them. But then after that, she went back to WWF. But she went back at a time when WWF was going attitude. They were going into the attitude era, into the more Jerry, into more of the Jerry Springer type environment, and you know Luna, you would think the way she is would fit right in, and she did to an extent. Um, they talked about her time with Goldust. I'm surprised they didn't talk about a time with the um, what is it the the uh, the oddities because she was part of that. Uh, along with Sable, believe it or not, she and Sable were stablemates at one point. Um, but speaking of Sable, I'll, I'll put it this way: if you got, if nobody really liked Sable before, not just from an you know in-ring perspective, but from what they've heard about her behind the scenes, then this really didn't do her any favors. 
this really didn't do her any favors because of the fact that later on when Luna would be put into a program with her, um, uh, not just tag team title, not just from a tag team perspective, uh, you know, and all that, but also a, but also a basically a, you know, a title perspective of, uh, as well, title perspective as well. I, th- I think that's what it was. Yeah, that's yeah. That did, did she did Luna? I'm trying to think. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know. If she, she. I think she may have. I'm not really sure. But they programmed her into a a a, a pro. She, well, what I'm trying to say. Hold on. Let me get my catch my words here. Okay. Wusa. Wusa. Okay. Basically. You know, when she came back, like I said, they covered her time with Goldust. They didn't cover her time with the Oddities because, believe it or not, she was a stable made of uh, Sables briefly when they were part of that. Uh, that is before, that is before they programmed her into a storyline. Ta- at first, a tag team storyline with Goldust and her against Sable and Mark Merrow at WrestleMania culminated at WrestleMania 14. So, you know, they, you know, so they, again, they didn't talk about the oddities thing, which was weird because like I said, she was part, she was part of the oddities. Believe it or not, she was part of them. And I think honestly, (laughs) here's what's crazy. The Sable Luna rivalry you know, which culminated in the tag match at WrestleMania 14. Guess what? After that, when Luna became part of the oddities, like I said, that's when Sable became, if my timeline is correct, my timeline is correct, that's when, you know, Luna and Sable were stablemates. Later on in 1998, when the oddities came came around and Sable was one of the first people to bring them on board, and Luna was part of that. So they were temporarily for a time stablemates, but they did not cover that. They did not cover that, believe it or not. They only covered when she came in, joined up with Goldust, when he was going through the artist formerly known as Goldust phase, and the feud that she had with Sable that culminated in the mixed tag match with Goldust, Sable, uh, I mean, Goldust and Luna, I should say, against Sable and Mark Merrow. And What's interesting about that, and this was I was, tr- and this is what I was trying to get at. What's interesting about this is, again, you hear all these stories about how those that faced Sable would potentially be careful about what, uh, be careful about how they handled Sable in the ring, or how they faced off against Sable in the ring, because apparently Sable was. How do I put this? Sable was Vince's. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, he basically Sable was. Sable was part of what I would consider Vince's Fort Knox is of WWE. You know, you had Stone, you had the Stone Colds, you had the Rocks, basically the protected. Uh, individuals, the stars. Sable was among them. So she, so she, along with the likes of Stone Cold, The Rock, 
um, Undertaker to an extent. You know, they were the protected ones. But what's funny is according to Luna, according to the likes of Paradise, Medusa, Mick, you know, all of them, Sable was more protected uh, than even Austin and Rock. Because basically, and, and they got audio clips from one of the RF video shoots that her and David did, obviously, uh, when she was alive. And she, in her own words, basically stated that Vince had warned her that if I see any cuts or bruises on her, that being Sable, you're fired. And that basically was that was basically was getting to that was getting Luna to a certain boiling point because she was just not she was like, how dare you kind of deals like, you know, you're going to put this woman in the because you think about it this way. You're Luna Vachon. You've worked your entire life to get to this moment. And you're on the biggest end for the what is it? The second time in your career, you're competing on one of the biggest stage on basically the premier the preeminable, the premier biggest stage, the Super Bowl wrestling, WrestleMania, you're for the second time in your career, you're competing on that stage, and you're told that the opponent you're facing against cannot get bruised. She cannot get cut. She cannot get scratched. And that instead, you have to make her look good. You have to make her look like a beast. And to much to, and to Luna's credit, that's what she did. She made her look like a beast. She made her look really good in the ring. Um, but the thing is, Luna's mentality, like anybody's, is like, well, if she's going to be in the ring. She's fair game. She's fair game. It's kind of like what they talk about when fans decide to be stupid and jump over the ba- the uh, the railings get in the ring, start dancing around doing do 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 or pushing ladders down or whatever, you know, you get in the ring, you're fair game. And that was Luna's mentality with someone like Sable. You're in the ring, you're fair game. But because Vince valued Sable as part of his Fort Knox, if you will, probably more so than his, you know, top, you know, guys that were competing for the championships, you know, at that time, or competing in the main event scene at that time, you know, when when you have him, you know, valuing her, you know, more so than them, and he's telling you, hey, don't put a scratch on her, I, I think, honestly, that would piss anybody off. I think that would piss anybody off, really. I mean, it'd be like if he was, it'd be like if Vince himself, during his rivalry with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and they had their matchups and everything, he would tell Stone Cold, don't you let... He would tell, it would be like, what I'm trying to say is, it would be like if Vince McMahon told Stone Cold Steve Austin during the rivalry and the matchups they would have against each other, don't you dare lay a hand on me or you're fired. It'd be like, well, what's the point of Vince being in the ring if you're not, if he's not going to be a fair game? You see, that's how a lot of people felt about this. They felt like, well, wait a minute. If Sable's going to be in the ring, she's fair game. So, you know, again, that was basically getting Luna close to the tipping point of, you know, just going over the edge, if you will, going really over the edge. And if that's not enough, you know, of course, she got, like I said, later on when 
you know, they had that short stint together as part of the oddities and then went their separate ways. They got programmed again again against each other uh, in a in a title program, which apparent which of course Luna lost because once again Luna can Luna couldn't you know lay a hand you know literally or any bruises or anything scratches whatever on uh, on Sable because you know even at that time Vince still valued Sable as part of this Fort Knox fraternity his stable of Fort Knox you know uh, uh, basically you know bulletproof you know treasures if you will again not to the you know not as much as let's say in Austin or Rock and at the time I think the way they were telling it and maybe somebody will correct me out there maybe Solomonster will correct us all tomorrow or Sunday but the way they were telling it from the time frame perspective is when they were programmed into that title feud after I think Sable had won the title it was around the time that Sable was becoming you know had been part of that best selling issue of Playboy of all time you know when she was the first WWE uh, diva superstar ever to be a woman superstar to be on the cover so basically you know that didn't sit well with Luna and everything and that you know, right there, the fact that Sable was part of uh, Playboy now, you know, and basically part of the best-selling issue of all time, that made her even more protected. So it didn't matter if you were Luna. It didn't matter if you were Ivory. It didn't matter if you were Jacqueline. You know, you couldn't really hurt this woman because you hurt her, you're screwed. And if that wasn't enough to really start putting her over the edge, then came the 2000 then came the 2000 bikini thing at the Royal Rumble and Luna did not want to show her, did not want to take her robe off. She's like, no, I'm not doing this. And I think she said something verbally to Jerry Lawler, who was in the ring. Like, this is not what I do. Like screw this crap. And I think it was after that, a little after that, that she, according to what they talked about and the way they put it, she, you know, she stood up to Vince McMahon because she did not like how she was being treated in this environment. And everybody, including Medusa, were like, you know, they they don't blame Luna for being angry. They are actually happy that she stood up for what she believed in because, you know, she didn't sign up to basically be someone that's, you know, wrestles in scantily clad clothes or you know, does bikini contests and all that. She's there to wrestle. And and Medusa, Deborah Ann, said it best, that when you're a wrestler, you want to wrestle. You don't want to do anything else but that. And the one thing that they all basically agree was probably the most regretted, regrettable thing WWE could have ever done to her when, during her first uh, you know, run with the company and even her second run was mostly make her a valet a manager for whoever she was paired with. Although the second run was more um, interactive for her, you know, from a competitive standpoint in the ring than the first run. We will have to look at the silver lining there. Now, unfortunately, she was fired once again. She was let go once again. And that's when things start to really spiral out of control for her, uh, more so than ever. 
I think she did a few independent appearances here and there. I think she did a few of those. I think she may have done an appearance with TNA. I'm not really sure, but I know she did independence. But throughout all that, things start to really spiral out of control to her, you know, in her in her personal life. Um, to the point that basically she didn't see her son that much, if at all. And um, you know, if that if that's not bad enough of you know things spiraling out of control for her. She shows up. The Paradise tells about a time that Luna showed up at her door with a gun in her hand and and just waving it around and not at Paradise, but just waving it around like you know she, something was after her or whatever. And Paradise is like, I, I I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. I have kids in my house, and she told Luna that. She's like, Luna, I can't deal with someone like you with this in my house. I can't have this weapon in my house. So you in the mental state that you're in, in my house. And it was just crazy. And her downward spiral and everything got to a point that even Gangrel, David Heath, separated from her, divorced her, moved out to California and ended that marriage because he couldn't handle it anymore. I mean, he basically talked about the fact that, you know, they would, you know, drink, that she would drink a few, you know, I, I can't even think what they called them, uh, a couple of eight balls and, you know, do a few pills here and there. Uh, but it got to a point that even he couldn't take it anymore and he had to leave. Now, the one thing he did say that he got a kick out of was after she got fired, he comes home and he notices her, you know, having a, a, a sheet or a tray of cocaine, of snow, if you will. Uh, as Paradise called it, because that one thing she talked about during the early early days of Luna's career in Florida is that it always snowed. And basically that was just another adjective of there was a lot of cocaine, a lot of acid, a lot of crazy drug-related uh, phonelia, if you will, going around. Um, but anyway, getting back to what I was saying, Gangrel says he came home, and obviously this apparently was after she was let go. He comes home and he noticed her with, like I said, looks like a tray of cocaine with cocaine spread out. And in the cocaine, she puts F.U. Vince. Yeah, it's F.U. Vince because of the way she, because of the way she felt about him at that time. And um, anyway, anyway, like I said, uh, he started talking about how after she was let go and, you know, that moment right there where she put F.U. Vince in the cocaine, she would drink a couple of eight balls, take some pills and everything almost almost on a daily basis, it sounded like. And that uh, he said basically it got to a point that he had to get out of there because if he would have stayed associated with her or married with her, they probably would have both ended up in a similar fate. Um, but, yeah, uh, she just... Her, like I said, her, her mental health and everything and her schizophrenia just started to go downhill is what they said. It just started to go downhill uh, uh, to the point that, you know, like I said, she didn't really see her son that much. You know, even when he became a culinary cook, you know, she didn't see him that much, nor did he see his daughter or one of them at least, um, her granddaughter, that is. And, you know, it just, 
you know, got worse and worse as time went on. And uh, basically, he talks about, I think there was one time he said he he believes he's, that he saw her and she was a truck driver. She was driving trucks, but it also got to a point that not only was she driving trucks, but she was joining up with some uh, uh, biker gangs, some bad biker gangs and everything. And it just, again, was a downward spiral uh, throughout uh, uh, throughout the time, time since she was let go, throughout the you know, next 10 years, the next, you know, 10 years of the 2000s that she was let go. Well, since she was let go in, I would assume 2000. And then again, like I said, it was just a downward spiral, you know, from there. Um, as I, as I mentioned, from my personal opinion, I do believe she made appearances on the independence and all that, as well as some other places, you know, that are notable. Like, I think she may have appeared in TNA briefly. I think she may have done something for, Maybe XPW. I'm not really sure. Uh, but, you know, she obviously made, she stayed in the business for a bit after she was let go. But then, like like I mentioned, and, the, and as they addressed more so uh, in the special, she just started to go downhill. Like I said, it got to a point that David, you know, had to leave her. It got to a point that she went to Paradise's home and with a gun and everything. And Paradise is like, I can't deal with that. And she had to, you know, leave the home there. That being, you know, Luna, she had to leave because Paradise didn't want her there because of the condition she was in. It got to a point that her son didn't see her as much, and she never saw her his uh, daughter or one of his daughters, his granddaughter. You know, it just got just got worse and worse to, for her, and basically, it got to a point that, like I said, she was driving trucks. And then she joined up with a biker gang from what they have said. She joined up with a biker gang, a bad one. And it just got to a point to where it looked like, you know, it was all it was going to lead to the inevitable uh, end that anybody that goes through that kind of stuff will probably face or most likely will face if they don't get help. And, you know. Unfortunately, it, it it got to that point. It, it really did. Um, because what's interesting is Mick Foley talked about how before she passed that, you know, he she got in contact with him and she said that she was now in a good place. That basically, mentally, she was in a good place. It sounded like basically she was doing better from what Mick Foley said. And unfortunately, as the old saying goes, just when it looks like you're going, just like when it looks like you're doing good, that basically, you know, from a mental health standpoint or any kind of disability standpoint, um, just when it looks like you're doing all better, that inevitably is like the first, that is like the initial sign of, you know, the end's going to come. And unfortunately it did. Now, what was cool about Mick Foley being in this episode is because of his closeness with Luna. And he even acknowledged a couple of times that they tagged together. I would believe doing, you know, uh, his appearances in Florida as well as in, you know, other places around the world or around the country. Um, you know, he. What was cool about this is he actually read off a, eulogy, a, a, a eulogy, which is a really cool, really nice eulogy, basically talking about the fact that, um, you know, 
you know, basically the message of it is Luna just wanted to be accepted for who she was. And, and that's it. And that's, and that's any, and that's all anybody could ask in life, whether you're an athlete, a wrestler, an MMA fighter, or just a common person like myself, you know, all you ask for in life is just to be, you know, accepted for who you are, be acknowledged and recognized for what you bring to the table um, on a daily basis. And the eulogy that Mick said basically pretty much, um, pretty much, you know, um, you know, was a was the uh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? You know, the eulogy he used was pretty much to the point, pretty much to the point when when it came to all that. Because again, you know, here's Luna. She goes out and does all this for when she's part of WWE, you know, and all that, and she doesn't get any recognition. Like after she had had the tag match at WrestleMania 14. You know, she goes to the back, according to what's being told in in this episode, she goes to the back and she hears a lot of clapping going on. It looks like people are, you know, clapping for her and saying, hey, you did a great job. And it looks like they're going to present her with roses, but it's not her they're clapping about and, you know, saying great job. You look great out there and all that. It's Sable. And that was enough right there for Luna again to really be pushed over to the edge or closer to that edge that inevitably came when 2000's Royal Rumble um, concluded or a little after that because it's like she just had enough and again after she left throughout the various appearances she made in wrestling which I think we can all agree she did do it was just downward from there and you know everything else that happened and I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. When I first saw Luna Vachon, she was she was unlike any other woman I saw on WWF television back in 1993. Because, you know, I was so used to seeing someone like Sherry Martel, Sensational Sherry, that I didn't think we could get anybody more vicious, more... Uh, uh, basically, can uh, what's the word I'm looking for? When I saw Sen- Sensational Sherry, I didn't think we could get any money more vicious, more um, more evil on screen, portray as portrayed on screen, and all that. More conniving, more manipulative. You know, more. You know, I'm the I'm the bo- You know, I'm the I'm the B I T C H. H, H above all, I didn't think we could get anybody, you know, I don't think we could get, I, what I'm trying to say is I didn't think we'd get anybody on that level. And we ended up, you know, getting that person in Luna Vachon. And, and, I, and I'll say this, the for the brief feud that they had, for the brief feud that they had, you know, you couldn't ask for a better matchup. Because here you had Sensational Sherry. Nally, now for the first time in her career, as far as we knew, a fleshly turned babyface going against someone that's basically looked at as the 90s equivalent of who she was, you know, previously. So, yeah, it's like, it's like, you know, again, you know, 
seeing, seeing sensational Sherry, you don't think you could get any anybody anybody else that could be as crazy and as wild as she was? <laughs> Insert Luna Vachon, and you got your answer. And again, they matched up well for the brief time that they did, in my opinion. And obviously, she was close friends with Nancy, you know, from the Florida days, and that's how she got into ECW which I thought was cool on Nancy's part to help her do that. And I think that was during Nancy's final um, run with the company, if you will, because she was still going back and forth with WCW and ECW. So that was like her final run with the company. Like, like to me, I think when, when Luna came in, Nancy was leaving. So that was Nancy's parting gift to Luna. Like, Hey, I'm going to be leaving, but I got you, you know, an opening and way in with uh, Paul Heyman, Todd Gordon and ECW. And the rest is history. Um, what's surprising, though, what's surprising, though, is they never talked about her brief WCW run because she did have a brief WCW run. They never talked about it, which is weird. You know, I'm assuming it's all I'm assuming because it was brief. And I think maybe the reason they didn't talk about it, because. You know, there wasn't much to talk about. And I think we all pretty much know that the reason she left was very similar to, you know, what happened later on in WWF. And I think it was also the payout that she had or something. I, I don't really know. But, yeah, Luna Vachon overall to me was one of those characters that, you know, can adapt to any any error, uh, any error, E-R-A, error, uh, of wrestling or women's wrestling uh, that you can think of. I mean, Mick Foley even said it best that if she was here today, she would love the women's wrestling we're getting right now in WWF or WWE as well as AEW and even Impact. She would love it. She would love the fact that Ring of Honor has a women's championship. She would love the fact that we have multitude of women's wrestling promotions. You know, and and that's the truth. That is the absolute truth. She would love it. She would love what we're getting, you know, because now the women are getting more, are getting that spotlight that she's always felt that, you know, women like her should have been given. And, you know, she even says that her one regret in WWF was never being the champion. But, you know, because, but she did acknowledge that because of the way things were, you know, even during her first run, it just was never meant to be. But, Overall, you know, like I said, she's one of those characters that could have easily uh, that could easily adapt to any, you know, uh, evolution in wrestling that you can you know think of. Like, again, it's like Mick said, if she was around here today, there's no doubt she would have adapted very well to uh, the, today's wrestling style for the women. There's no doubt because she would have that brawling like style like she could wrestle, but she can brawl. So it's a good mixture. And I think, you know, anybody watching this right now or watching this later would agree with that. Um, but overall, I thought she was a cool character. She was different. She was basically, I'll put it this way. She was hardcore for the women before the women. And I say this with all due respect, no offense, before the women in wrestling ever attempted to go truly hardcore. If you know what I mean. And I'm not talking the hardcore of 
you know, show the goods. I'm talking hardcore as use the weapons kind of deal. And she was basically that kind of individual. She was hardcore for women's wrestling before women's wrestling and truly embraced hardcore wrestling. We'll put it that way. And, you know, she's definitely truly one of the greats. She's truly one of the greats. And um, she is, I'll say this, I do agree that she is sorely missed. I mean, if you have someone like a Luna Vachon in today, if you had someone like a Luna Vachon in today's women's wrestling, I'm going to be honest with you. You could have all, you could have the, Ab, all the Abaddons, all the Harley Blisses, Harley Quinn Blisses, if you will. You could have all the, you know, Thunder Rosas and, and all that, you know, lined up and everything. And none of them would be able to match up to what Luna would bring to the table. And that's a fact. That is a true fact. But, yeah, she was one of the greats. And she is sorely missed, not just by the her fellow wrestlers, men and women, but by the fans. And that's the truth. And the fact that she didn't get a soul, a solo induction into the Hall of Fame is a shame. I mean, yeah, she got put into the legacy ring as far as I know, but for but as far as an solo introduction, she should have had one. And that's the truth. That is the truth. Um, but again, you know, throughout this, they had a lot of people to talk to that gave great stories. Like I said, they got Mick, they got Medusa, they got Paradise, they got Mad Maxine, they got her son. And her son, basically, this is what surprised me. Her son, basically, you know, when when they asked, basically, towards the end, you know, about, you know, her passing and everything, and it's like, her son, he didn't shed a tear. Her son, basically, you could tell in a sense that her son, even though he knew she loved him, he was bitter. He was bitter towards her because of the fact that she did not seek out the help she needed, nor did she find time to spend with him or get to know, you know, her inevitable grandchildren uh, that would come from him. So, yeah, you can tell there's a bit of bitterness in her son. And, you know, one could probably say you can't and one and one could probably argue that you can't blame him. And that is true. But still, it's like, come on, dude, this is your mom. She was trying to provide a living for you in a unique kind of way. Maybe not the way, you know, that made traditional sense, but she was still trying to help make a living, if you will. Uh, but yeah, they, they got him. Like I said, they got Mad Maxine, Paradise, McFoley, Medusa. And believe it or not, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, they got Paul Vachon, the stepfather of Luna. Yeah, the you know, they got Mad Dog Vachon's uh, cousin. I think that's who it was, his brother or his cousin. They got him, and he just celebrated his 84th birthday. And, uh, yeah, he, he – it was, it was uh, again, like I said, it was a surprise to see that they had him. They got him, and it's a surprise to see him alive and still doing well. So, yeah, it was um, – yeah, it was – you know, it was, it was, it was kind of cool to see him talking about – you know, Luna and everything in the history and, you know, between them and the family. I like that. I really did. I don't think I'm alone in that. And, and I like the fact, too, that Medusa was willing to 
break kayfabe before, let's say, the click did a year or so late, uh, two years before, two years later, that she was willing to break kayfabe and risk her job because she was sick and tired of the way they were being treated. You know, that being the women, um, when she told Luna, look, we're going to go through our match. We're going to do what we're supposed to do, but then you're going to be the one that goes over, not me. And she wanted to do it for Luna in Luna's uh, home uh, home country, because I think that's where she's from. Yeah, that's where she's from, her and the Fashans, uh, Canada. But again, Luna didn't want to do it because she didn't want to, you know, she didn't want to uh, risk, you know, Medusa losing her job over her. So, yeah, it, it kind of tells you again how Luna was like, you know, she could be one way, one one second and then another way, another. And it's like you didn't know what you were going to get. But, yeah, she was truly one of the more unique women superstars that were ahead of her time, no matter what people say, no matter what people say. And I truly recommend, like I told these people here in the live chat, Divas Gold and the Flores family. I recommend if you want to check this out, if your cable provider has Vice TV and has the Vice on Demand uh, portion of it, go to Vice on Demand. Check it out. It'll be the latest episode they put up. If not, go to Google. Google search it. And the first couple of one, first couple of uh, results you should get are video results, either for Daily Motion and YouTube. And if you can't get it there, if you can't get something good there, go to YouTube. Mostly, it's, uh, mostly there's a lot of fans that have the latest episodes up by now, so you should be able to find it and enjoy it that way. And believe me, I think you'll truly enjoy what you get out of this. You know, there's no doubt about it. But um, anyway, though, that's about it for the Luna episode and my thoughts on it. I thought it was good. Got to got to know more about the character that we've all seen, you know, appear in all the various major promotions. You know, how she got started and how she basically evolved her character and adapted it, you know, to the situation or to, you know, to wrestling at the time or how wrestling was evolving at the time. So. You know, that was it was great to see. It was great to, you know, hear from the people that they talked to about, you know, about her time, about her time on this earth, about her time in the business. And again, I highly recommend checking it out Um, next week. It's XPW and that's going to be an interesting one. And it's in its own right. You're already getting some trailers up for it. Um, and what's interesting about that one is one of the clips, one of the people they talked to that worked in XPW, uh, basically he was told that the only way he could get paid is to edit porn films. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what we learned from there about XPW, which, you know, with, you know, what we already know, you know, I should say, it'll be an interesting uh, watch next week. I will say that. Uh, but anyway, though, guys, thank you all for watching. Really appreciate it. Thank you to those that joined me in the live chat. Hope you guys have been enjoying the, spe- uh, the episode and the ways I kind of suggested to watch it. Um, and really, guys, that's all I'm going to say for now. So till next time, um, check me out at Teespring, if you will, as well as check me out at patreon.com slash bwrosis, as well as check me out on bwrosis discussions for all your favorite podcasts, audio Oh, what I'm trying to say is check me out at BW Rosa's discussions on all your favorite audio podcast locations, except for Pandora, as well as check me out at BW Rosa's on Vimo um, as well. I think you guys will 
enjoy what you get there. And really, guys, that's about it. I do apologize if I uh, stammered a little bit or um, rambled or repeated stuff I said. Uh, this is what happens when you do live streams or recorded videos or audios uncut, unscripted, and on the fly by thinking about what you're going to say off the top of your head. But again, guys, I highly recommend checking it out. And um, I think you'll enjoy the Luna Fashan episode. And again, like I said, next week, we got XPW, and that'll be an interesting ride because, like I said, we're probably going to find out more about the company that uh, we're going to find. What I'm trying to say is we'll probably find more, find out more about the company than what we already know about it. So, um, again, till next time, guys, take care. God bless. I'm going to get me something to eat because <laughs> or something to drink because my mouth is getting dry and all that, and I think that's what's causing me to stammer a little bit. But till next time, guys. Thank you all for watching. Thank you all for being here live. And I will talk to you all later.